1: And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive.
0: Can I take these off? All
1: right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what. man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming
0: your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. Uh uh I want to get into it, man, you know. Uh Like, you know I'm the man, don't you? Uh
2: Can I count it off? Uh One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Giboney, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship, in the public square.
1: This is the Church Politics podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, brought to you by the Ann Campaign, Crux in the Call, and Fourth District. Justin, it's uh, Holy Week, man. How, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Looking, looking forward to Easter service. Had a, uh, you know, had a pretty good weekend. And I'll start just by saying that uh, winter is here. The night is dark. <laughs> it's a little terrible. You know, I, I waited, Michael. I waited over 500 days for the <laughs> final season of Game of Thrones to begin. Got a chance to watch it with my wife last night. And the truth is, is Michael, I'm not even a sci-fi guy. Like if you if you come up to me talking about Marvel and comics, you'll probably just get a blank stare because I'm not really into all of that stuff. But I am into Game of Thrones, and I think it's because there's so much strategy and almost politics involved into in it. I just really enjoy it. So we've been waiting for a while in anticipation on the edge of our seats. I was glad that this last season is getting going, and so it should be interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, I I viewed the episode, you know, it helped establish some threads that will carry us through to the end. I thought it was a little, it had that awkwardness of sort of returning us to that world and introducing a lot of different concepts in, but I thought the episode was good. But the, the biggest thing was it, it gave you a foretaste of what's coming. You know, yeah, I, I think everybody
2: coming together. I mean, fo- you had so many folks that hadn't seen each other in years that were seeing each other again. And so I think it had to establish that. And so this next episode so it should be interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I've been doing some reading about the the major fight scene that basically, I believe going to be the longest continuous live action fight scene in the history of television or some, some, some stat like that uh, that should be coming in in the third or fourth episode. And uh, it's just going to be crazy. So, so yeah, so that's exciting. What we've been watching, there's a Netflix show called the OA, which is very science fictiony. And we just wrapped up the second season, Last night. And so if folks are looking for a show to relatively, you know, quickly binge on, I think it's like eight episodes a season, uh, would would recommend the OA. Yeah, because if you're looking for something
2: quick and you haven't watched Game of Thrones, that'll probably take you back <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, that's Yeah, that's going to be
1: a commitment. <laughs> that's going to be a commitment. <laughs> well, I guess before we jump in, I'm excited. I get to see you this week uh, on Wednesday. You are speaking at the Trendy Forum in response to arthur brooke who's presenting on uh on his uh, uh arthur brooks who's presenting on his book love your enemies and that's exciting I- i'm looking forward to it
2: yeah this is a big event to be with the trinity forum like you said i'm responding to arthur brooks uh, got to read through his book love your enemies very good book i re- recommended to folks just talking about how contempt has really divided our political space and really hurt our political discourse so uh, it should be a good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for bringing that up.
1: Well, Justin, last week at taking up a, a lot of political oxygen was the feud between President Trump and Ilhan Omar. Our listeners will remember Omar was in the news, a central figure in the news last month concerning remarks that some took to be anti-Semitic that we covered on this show. The House took up a resolution. There was President Trump that uh, shared his thoughts on Omar and now here we are back again. Uh, this time, it's in relation to a speech that Omar gave at a fundraiser in California for the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Uh, and Trump and other conservatives, folks on the right wing, uh, took out four words from this speech. The the, the sentence, the full sentence from which uh, the, these four words were taken, it was this. Omar said... CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Now, uh, two things. First, CARE was not founded after 9-11. It was founded years before 9-11, and so that's just a factual issue uh, to clear clear up. Uh, Secondly, of course, the four words were some people did something. Trump and folks on the right wing, including uh, the New York Post, which put this quote uh, on the front page of their newspaper with scenes from 9-11. Trump, who put uh, a video on Twitter that spliced Omar's comments with planes actually going into the World Trade Center, they're uh, using these words to suggest that Omar is insufficiently Sympathetic, affected by 9/11, that she's unwilling to identify the extent of the tragedy that took place, and really to suggest that there's that that she doesn't condemn 9/11, that right, like that she doesn't think that 9/11 was a bad thing. Now her defenders and others are saying, you know, these are four words taken out of context four words as she was making another point about islamophobia and and care and why care exists i i just say justin it's really important that we not isolate these attacks on omar this idea that that american muslims are somehow incapable or unwilling or you know to harken back to you know a phrase that was used uh, uh, last month in relate, in relation to Omar, uh, this, uh, uh th- this idea that there's a, uh, a dual loyalty, uh, that American Muslims have is a despicable form of politics, a despicable form of identity politics. Uh, and so this doesn't happen in isolation. Trump knows exactly what he's doing. Trump w- would love to have Omar. Uh, be the face of the Democratic Party. And so, Justin, my question for you is, you know, what does this soundbite politics, this continuation of a soundbite politics, in this case, have to say about, about how the American people and how our politicians are treating the issues of our day, are talking about the issues of our day? What does it say about the rhetoric that we use?
2: Yeah. So, um, brace yourself because I'm about to put out a couple very revolutionary, uh, ideas.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, the first is that I would suggest that everybody listening to the church politics podcast right now, and I know this is a lot to ask, but I would suggest that you listen to the comments for yourself. Listen to the whole speech. It's available. Listen to the, listen to the speech for yourself. Analyze it for yourself. Now, I know, I know I'm asking a lot because it is invited divided <laughs> time, right? Uh, It is painful to think. And the truth of the matter is the return on thinking independently, it just doesn't have a whole lot of return on investment. Right. And so it's a lot easier for us to outsource these opinions than to actually do the thinking, uh, thinking through all this stuff for ourselves. So I know I'm asking a lot, uh, but I would suggest. Right. Humor me. I would suggest that you watch it for yourself and not feel like you have to go along And, and, and be on Omar's side because you're progressive or be on uh, Trump's side because you're conservative. I I know it's crazy. Just, just try it out. Check, see what happened for yourself and not, you know, just listen to what you're hearing from other messengers. You can, you can watch the video. That's the beauty of social media, of all the information that we get. You can watch this for yourself. So that'd be the first thing that I would say. Analyze it for yourself. Uh, the, the second part of, of what I would say is, you know, so we, we see that the charge here is that she downplayed nine eleven 11, like uh, Michael said, um, which, if true, is worth calling the question. Right. It's worth calling the question on that. I personally think that a little charity in how we interpret other people's statements makes this probably a little less con of, of a controversy than some people would like it to be. Right. So words certainly matter. I'm not saying that. And we do have to watch our words. <laughs> but someone but as someone who does a lot of public speaking, and I know Michael does a lot of public speaking as well, I know that you're not always as clear as you want to be or as articulate as you would want to be when you speak, especially when you go back and watch it, right? Uh, so you might say something that you didn't necessarily mean, and if you parse through somebody's words, every word, you'll find something to be upset about right now my my rev- my second revolutionary idea after you watch this for yourself. And I think this idea could cha- change the whole political discourse is that when someone says something that's ambiguous or seemingly outrageous, ask them what they meant by it. Give them an opportunity to clarify. And you may say, well, we've heard this before. She said things like this before. Okay. <laughs> that is taken into consideration too. But if there's an opportunity to say, Hey, what did you mean? You should probably allow for that. If you really are trying to be constructive, right? what i what i've noticed michael is that we've become very puritanical or in other words overly strict or even legalistic about the words and phrasing used when when we discuss issues that are very important to us right so if you're talking about the country you can say this but you can't say that and if you say it the wrong way then you're not patriotic right uh this word can't be used to describe uh this particular ally right There there just isn't a lot of charity uh, or focus on the spirit of what's being said. You hear so much, especially from the right, uh, about how they don't like political correctness. And I'm not a Hmm. fan of political correctness either. But you hear this over and over until it's time for them to enforce their own version of political correctness. Right. And and so that's one of the problems that I'm seeing. This really isn't even in the defense of Omar or a defense of sloppy language. Uh, But giving people the benefit of the doubt, I think, can go a long way when you have a discourse that we've heard over and over again is simply toxic. And it doesn't just happen on the right. This happens with some of our woke brothers and sisters, too. If someone doesn't use the proper terminology, and honestly, it can be terminology that uh, the woke person just learned a few years ago. But if somebody else doesn't use the proper terminology, then they're summarily canceled and ostracized. And it's just not gracious. It can be very mean spirited and really counterproductive because when you're having a conversation with somebody, what is the purpose of the conversation? Is it to show them that they're not woke, show them that they don't know what they're talking about and humiliate them? Or is it to win your your brother or sister? And if you're trying to win your brother or sister, they may not use the right words. They may not get what you're saying immediately. But if you're trying to win them over, you're going to have a little bit of patience and some grace to give them the opportunity to learn and do better, even if they don't agree with you immediately or still don't use the words that you want them to use. Now, what I will say to people who are defending, um, who are going along with the president is this. You cannot be a stickler about language and then excuse the president. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, right. You can't be such a stickler because what she said was ambiguous, but she might've just been emphasizing something else and not necessarily downplaying Nine Eleven, right? And so to be <laughs> the, to come in and be so hard on exactly what she said when you have a president that every day is playing stuff that's out of line, it's just not consistent. And so we need to think about that. I will say, you know, any threats against her safety are, are not okay. And so if, you know, if she needs extra physical protection, then that should be provided. The president has to be more cautious about what he pulls, puts out there. I don't expect him to be, but it's unfortunate that. Uh, someone could be put in danger uh, over comments and over what the president is saying, and him not really being responsible uh, about the words that he's using.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. A whole lot of Trump supporters are now, all of a sudden, experts in linguistics are now, right. you know, annotating this this speech, are breaking it down. Uh, I, I think. I think that's right, Justin. It's, um, it's just important to keep in mind the fact that this is the politics of uh, thrash them and crash them, uh, a politics of sound bites and, uh, uh, character attacks that Donald Trump thrives off of. And frankly, our politics thrives, thrives off of it, right? So, you know, the problem with Omar is not that she, uh, her, her foreign policy stance or, This or the problem is that she uh, she doesn't take nine eleven seriously. Uh, You know the the problem is that our politicians are rotten to the core. uh, Not just that they have uh, the wrong views; it just becomes a whole lot easier uh, to crystallize in people's minds the distinctions. If you go to character attacks and really vicious characterizations of what people are saying, rather than you know just putting the temperature down a little bit. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. And, I, you know, m- my encouragement to folks would be, you know, uh, again, we talk about this over and over again on this show. We see it play out over and over. And sometimes it hits me afresh too. There was so much pressure to speak out and condemn Omar three weeks ago for, um, for statements that she had made. And now there was this pressure that if you weren't tweeting out hashtag, I stand with Omar, that you were being silent in the face of oppression. And look, if you don't feel confident or if you don't feel like you have anything to add to a situation, don't get dragged into stuff. Um, You don't need to comment on everything. Take the time, as Justin said, to actually investigate for yourself as opposed to just reacting to what feels like on social media, a whole bunch of pressure to, uh, to like people are just waiting for, for what you have to contribute to a conversation and just let things play out a little bit. The same people taking advantage of a situation, uh, uh, today are going to be, uh, the same ones who are uh, quiet and backtracking and all this stuff, uh, when it's to their political convenience. And so I think we need to make sure that uh, Omar is, is safe. She is a elected representative in the United States Congress. And, uh, she has every right to speak her point of view, to represent her constituents, to open up dialogue on issues that she thinks are important. And, and folks have every right to cr- criticize her within the boundaries of civility. <laughs> and, you know, just to return to that, Justin, you know, civility applies here <laughs> uh, actually good faith efforts to understand what your what you uh, what the person you're in discussion with is saying as opposed to putting up advertisements and splicing videos that's a part of civility and that's why we think it's so important
2: yeah and it's not like she was using you know violent words or anything like that right she was she was expressing an opinion and even if it's not a popular opinion or you think it's one that's not patriotic, It doesn't mean that she shouldn't say it, you know, that she can't say it now where this all is going to come out. And you mentioned 2020. The people who voted for her, if they don't like what she said, will have a chance to vote her out. Um, Now, the political strategy is probably a smart one by Trump, whether you think it's good or not, is another conversation. It's probably a smart one by Trump to frame her as the Democratic Party and where it's going. I think that may work for him, do him. You know, that may be helpful to his campaign in 2020, if that's the way he's going to frame it. And that's the consequence of when you have statements out there like that. But the idea that she can't say it, even if it's unpopular, even if you don't think it's accurate, she gets to say it, you get to put it out there. And at the end of the day, the people will decide whether it's something that should be said or not. And we'll we'll see.
1: All right. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about Immigration policy uh, coming out of the White House and Stephen Miller's role. We're also going to talk about Julian Assange. This is the Church Politics Podcast.
0: The news on flavored e cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use, but parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this one, nicotine is a toxic poison that can rewire teens' brains, two, it can increase mood swings. Three, it can limit attention and learning. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison.
2: Go to flavorshookkids.org for more.
0: Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Spring is prime home buying season, so if you're thinking about buying a home, right now is the time to lock a low rate, which can save you money every month on your new mortgage. With our exclusive Rate Shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a Rate Shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com to take advantage. Here's another great reason to work with us. For a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Again, to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive Rate Shield approval, call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Race shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.
1: All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And last Thursday, a WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange, was arrested in London and is expected to face a charge in the U.S. of conspiring to hack into a Pentagon computer network in 2010. Assange has kind of been on the run for uh, quite a while. He had been uh staying at the emb- at Ecuador's embassy in Britain to avoid uh getting arrested uh but the uh but that sort of fell through he had been tr- trying to uh, uh evade capture and and doing so in a way that w- was actually um you know p- p- provocative in, in that he uh, he seemed to kind of revel in in the fact that he was he was still free, but now Assange is arrested and will face charges. Uh, Justin, we're seeing a lot of conversation about, you know, this idea that Assange was, you know, actually, you know, a whistleblower, right? That he was bringing to light uh, information that that people needed to know. And uh, some are saying he should be praised, not arrested and charged. I have a view uh, on this Basically, I, I want to push back on the idea that this is just run of the mill journalism. Run of the mill journalists don't hack into government computer networks, <laughs> military computer networks. Uh, this, this whole idea that Assange was uh, just practicing journalism and just uncovering you know secrets like like any good you know uh, sleuth would do is is false. It's a mischaracterization but but justin what what do you think should assange be uh, you know charged to the full extent of the law? Is there something about this case that should l- lead the government to have leniency or you know what what needs to happen here for justice to be done?
2: I think he's done enough to be charged. So I think he should be charged. And I think a jury of his peers should make that decision, right? When, when they see all the information. Yeah. Uh, you hit on something that, that, that I think is the crux of, of the conversation here, which is depending on who you talk to, he's either described as the patron saint of transparency or others think that he's just an irresponsible meddler, uh, putting lives at risk. And, and that is the question, and, and it depends on who you ask. Assange uh, is an Australian journalist. He's a supposedly like this math genius and hacker extraordinaire. Um, that's really putting very serious information into the public domain for public consumption. Uh, as you mentioned, he's namely famous for WikiLeaks, which is a whistleblowing quote unquote website which publishes confidential documents, and it's a, it brings up a very interesting conversation. Um, about what people should know and what should be kept from the public, right? So just so you know, technically, all government documents belong to the people because the people are paying for them, the people, uh, the government represents the people. And so all those documents actually belong to the people. The people should have access to them so that we understand what the government is doing. We don't want the government to be operating in the dark. And we put people in place and we don't know what's going on. So this is why in America, we have what's called sunshine laws, wow. uh, like the freedom of intelligence, uh, the freedom of information, excuse me, freedom of information act, which is the federal on the federal level. You have open records acts uh, in different states, which really allow citizens to get the documents, get government documents upon request. So anybody listening to this show, if you want to see a government document, you can make a request. And you would have to follow certain guidelines, but they, they make it fairly easy. You'd have to make a request and you could see those documents in most cases. Now, that's the general rule, but there are exceptions. So there's exceptions for information that's confidential. Uh there's exceptions for like ongoing real estate deals, uh, active criminal cases, things of that nature. But here's the question, and here's what someone like Assange would 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 would, would say, right? If what's considered confidential is too broadly defined, then we don't get everything that we should see and so someone like Assange would say, "Well, I have to hack and do all this other stuff because they're holding stuff from uh people from the people that the people need to see by just labeling it as confidential or whatever, and you can't be a real you know and so what we get from these other journalists who are doing as much as they can but not digging any deeper is just half the information or just a portion of what we should really be seeing which is the really serious stuff and i think that's how he would try to justify what he's doing but it all kind of falls under the umbrella of these sunshine laws and making sure that the people are seeing what's going on within the power within government uh in a way that allows them to understand what's going on so it's an interesting back and forth i think he should be tried i think a jury of his peers should make that final decision Uh, He has a lot of issues. He's been dealing with there were sexual assault charges, all this other stuff. But it looks like uh, his his uh, time may be coming to an end, at least as far as his hacking and all that other stuff.
1: Yeah, and, and Justin, it does strike me that this is you know one other expression of something we've discussed before, which is in order for. Norms and uh, to be upheld and institutions to be respected in order for us to expect that people will follow norms. Um, our institutions have to be acting properly. So if all of these evasive maneuvers are being used to avoid transparency to delay responding to FOIA requests to insane amounts of time, to, you know, to the point of the Mueller report, which is going to be apparently released this week, this perception that that it will be overly redacted and that uh, the American public won't have access to all the information that they should have. When these kind of evasive maneuvers take place, it, it might not justify uh, people working outside of the system, but it does help explain it. It does take a little sting out of those who would say, "You know, it's it's against the law. You got to do what's uh, uh, th- This is this is completely wrong." Well, it's also wrong to be manipulating the legal process so that government can protect it, protect its own interests. And so,
2: or 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 you should just go through the process. Right. There's, right. A There's a whistleblower process. And when you go outside of that process, you lose certain protections.
0: That's, so that's exactly right.
2: It's like, OK, you think something's going on. You don't have to be quiet or quit, but you do need to go through the process. And if you don't go through the process, then I think you're outside of what, what is ethical and, and you should face the consequences. So I'm with you on that.
1: Mr. Yeah. yeah. So so it, it's it's a tough issue. I, I think the fact that there have been movies made about Assange, the fact that people are gravitating to him is really an expression of discontent with the way that government is operating. And, you know, uh, letting Assange get away with what he's done is probably not the answer to that. Uh, but we do need government to live up to its responsibilities and for politicians who are going to earnestly, uh, not just talk about transparency when they're trying to get elected, but actually carry it out once they're in office. And, and a citizenry that can handle transparency. A citizenry that, 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 um, that is prepared to to receive and and process the information that would come out in a way that is uh in a way that is fair in a way that doesn't uh doesn't further corrode the system.
2: Yeah, and and this is one of the tough parts about a representative democracy. Uh what what should people know, what shouldn't people know? But if we're going to look at it in a historical context, it's hard to deny even just given in America that the government has hidden things that they shouldn't have hidden that the and at times, uh, the gov- you know—that at times the government covered up things that people should have known. Uh, so it's it's a very complex issue. That doesn't mean that people need to know everything immediately, because sometimes it's a safety, security issue. Uh, this is not a—you know—this. I don't think this is an issue where you should just say, "Oh, this is right, that is wrong." Investigate it and understand that it is a a thin line between, you know. Uh, people not knowing enough and 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 the, and the other side of it so think it through uh, look at look at how this goes and be interested in and in why we should know certain things and why certain things are kept from
1: it. yeah absolutely all right we're going to take our last break when we get back we're going to talk immigration and the Trump administration this is the church politics podcast.
0: When tracking
2: the domestic dust bunny, you commonly find them hiding under wardrobes next to lost socks. Don't
0: move too suddenly or they'll scurry off. What's utterly fascinating about the dust bunny is that although they are not actually sentient creatures, when they hear that Geico not only saves people money but also has a 97% customer satisfaction rating, it's obvious to them you should switch. Because, yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Oh, no, it's the dust
2: bunny's only natural predator. Run along, dust bunnies, run along. Run along.
1: We're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, and Justin, uh, other news coming out of the Trump administration uh, last week involved this proposed plan of moving undocumented immigrants to sanctuary cities as kind of a form of retaliation or calling the bluff of Democrats. Tr- Trump seems to really l- like this idea. He's tweeted about it. He's been pushing internally for it. Other reports have come out from DHS and administration anonymous administ- administration staff are saying, you know, this is completely impractical. One person who doesn't seem to find anything on immigration or border policies to be impractical uh, is Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller, the longtime aide and speechwriter to President Trump, the New York Times has a story this week. The headline: Trump sees an obstacle to getting his way on immigration. His own officials, and really the exception to that is Stephen Miller. The New York Times reports that uh, Mr. Miller last month was presiding over the meeting in the White House Situation Room where he demanded to know why administration officials were uh, not acting quick enough to act on what the president wanted and and what Stephen Miller wanted. Uh, And of course, since that meeting, we've seen Secretary of Department of Homeland Security step down. Uh, We've seen uh, we've seen, uh, major turnover, uh, in Homeland Security and, and, ICE generally. The, uh, the, the head of ICE has been elevated to acting secretary of DHS. Um, and, and, uh, it, it looks like they're gearing up for, for more aggressive action on the border. There were reports that they're planning to bring back a child separation policy. And so, uh, Justin, you, you know, Stephen Miller is not exactly, you know, an, an aberration. A, a sort of uh, every administration has these kinds of players, uh, but given this administration's, you know, track record on immigration, the fact that it's been such a um, focus uh, of both critique and support for this administration, what do you think about the role of Stephen Stephen Miller? And, and how do you process, you know, having this kind of bulldog in the White House that is putting pressure across government to be more aggressive when it comes to the border and, and undocumented immigration? I,
2: I think Stephen Miller is doing exactly what uh, President Trump would have him do, or at least what President Trump said he was going to do in his, uh, in his campaign. Yeah, uh, so this really shouldn't be all that surprising to us. It's the same posture that we saw in the, same, the campaign. And you have somebody who's doing what his boss, whether whether he's the mastermind behind it or not, this is what was represented to to us. This is what uh, people voted for. right? And so it shouldn't be all that big of a surprise that there's someone in the administration that would uh, kind of go out of their way to make sure this happens. Yes, Stephen Miller is an immigration hardliner. Uh, yes, I disagree with uh, if not all, the majority of his views on immigration. Uh, so I, I'll say that very clearly. But he's doing what he's there to do. And this is what, this is when we see that elections, elections have consequences. I'm not particularly impressed with the way that either side is handling this conversation right now. Because even putting Stephen Miller out there the way they are and, and saying that he needs to come speak to Congress, I mean, that's great. But if you really want to do something about it, Uh, we should be in talks to see how we can solve the problem. Uh, What I see right now is is a lot of grandstanding, hey, pointing the finger at Stephen Miller, let's get him out here to explain what's going on. You know exactly what's going on. I mean, what's he? I don't know what he's going to say that's really going to change the conversation or get us any closer to solving the problem. And so my my thought would be, instead of grandstanding and pointing him out, because I, I don't even know, I'm not convinced that you can even force him to speak before Congress just because of the, you know, executive privilege and things of that nature. Yeah. Or what you would get out of it. But what would be better would be working towards a solution. Uh getting another gang of eight or whatever you needed to do, whether the president's gonna accept it or not, and pushing a solution to this because we need, as we said over and over again, comprehensive immigration reform. I don't have a whole lot new to say about that issue. But I have found in my experience that sometimes repeating the same thing over and over can be helpful because we want to drive home. That's what needs to happen. Um, I wouldn't say they're equivalent, but I would say that both sides are being somewhat irresponsible about it. Uh, the proposal that Trump has put out there about, you know, sending all these detained uh, immigrants to sanctuary cities. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, closing the border are ridiculous and irresponsible, but also open borders and just saying open everything. You have uh, Beto O'Rourke saying, I would just tear down all the walls and I, that's not a policy. And so when you're not coming up with policy and we're just kind of grandstand and hopefully, hopefully saying something that can be a headline, then I question whether we're really trying to solve the issue. And so we all need to step up and push our representatives, Republican or Democrat, to get comprehensive immigration reform, especially for our dreamers, so they don't have to be sitting around and be unsure of their status. Uh, they deserve to know where they stand and, and, and how long they're going to be here and all those, all those things. So that's, yeah. that's why I am on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. You you said it. The problem is not Stephen Miller. the The problem is not who's staffing Department of Homeland Security. Stephen Miller is doing what this president wants. The problem is that President Trump was was elected from the perspective of uh, immigration advocates and those who are concerned about what's happening uh, on the border. That is what it is. And uh, this sort of like I I get it. Stephen Miller doesn't seem like you know a, a great guy to be honest. From some of the reporting. But it's important to stay focused and, and make progress, as much progress as possible, even if it's just laying the groundwork for what comes after. But but just I'll tell you, I, I, we, we've we talked about that before. I think this issue is going to be a stain on the presidency of Donald Trump. I think, honestly, it's going to be a stain uh, when, when we when we look back on this time in America uh and so uh, you know i do want to close the episode with something a little more uplifting and thankfully uh, tiger came through for us yeah. <laughs> so i mean we we've covered all the political issues that we 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 needed to cover this week Let, let's just talk for 30 45 seconds about about tiger i mean i'm not a big uh, golfing fan i'm one of those people who will never watch uh, golf unless it becomes you know a, a cultural touch point as it was uh, for about an hour yesterday as Tiger inch closer and closer to winning the Masters again for the first time in over a decade his 15th major he's now back on the hunt uh, to beat Jack Nicklaus. uh w- w- were you able to catch uh, a Catch uh, catch it live or, or you know is Tiger someone who uh, you know uh, captured your imagination?
2: I didn't catch it live, but similar to you, I'm not I'm not a huge golfing fan. But anything I know about golf, any interest that I have in golf, came from Tiger Woods, right? And so we you know we need to realize how much he's done for that game. I think there are a lot of people who are interested in in, in golf now that would never have been if it wasn't for Tiger. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, this is his fifth master. This is, I think, his 81st PGA uh, win. And Sports Illustrated is calling this golf's greatest comeback. And anybody who's been watching what Tiger Woods has gone through throughout his life, you know, he kind of started off as this golden boy who was doing, who was just a master, right, at at, at golf. Uh, and then things kind of fell apart, you know, had a very good reputation. And then, you know, gotten some got in some bad situations. There was some drinking. There was some, you know, uh, bad relationships and really hit the bottom. And so to see him back and to win it again, uh, is such a uh is such a good feeling. I don't I can't understand anybody who's not happy about seeing Tiger win again after all that he's been through. Yeah. It shows you that, you know, you can come back and do something. You know, he had back injuries, he's had all these Uh, things to get over and to see him come back and win it in a very competitive masters. There's a lot of good players out there. It's, it's special. I'm happy for him and I hope he really enjoys
1: it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, sports can sometimes, you know, capture in itself, you know, all kinds of narratives and stories that were, um, uh, that were telling in other areas of life. I mean, that, that story of someone who has a, at the top of the game, uh, who was, you know, uh, uh, who was invincible, uh, being taken down by many circumstances, you know, out of his control, and some that were s- certainly in his control, uh, and and to fight back, to, to be able to get it again is, like, who hasn't felt that at some point in their life? Like, oh, man, I was riding high, and I crashed, and, you know, I – who knows if I'll ever get to that peak again? I mean, that's a story we tell in politics. That's that's a story we tell, you know, in our families. And so I, I do think that there's, you know, there was a resonance there. It wasn't just about Tiger that we tap into stories like that, uh that give us, you know, really give us hope for other areas of our life. Uh, and so right. it, it was powerful to see. It was fun to see tiger uh you know pumping that fist again uh so yeah, so, yeah i i enjoyed it it was it was a, yeah, it was so a lovely moment to see his family there his children there
2: who have all been through these things with him right uh they see their faces and, and you know his uh you know he was thinking i'm sure he was thinking of his father as all of this went down so it's it's just a great story and uh oh, man I, I was happy to see it i know uh social media has been going crazy about yeah. it it's, just, it's a good moment for uh for all
1: and right his son is never knew his father at the peak uh and so to you know he'd heard stories i'm sure i'm sure he saw old clips but to be a dad and to be able to to claw back and have your son be with you when you're at the top uh yeah it's just incredible but uh so, I'm, honestly, Justin, I didn't think that I felt this strongly about until we just discussed it right now. I mean, I was I was playing it all cool, but now that you have me talking about the Masters and Tiger, uh, I, I'm I'm seeing that actually this uh, this did mean something to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a, great story. it's a great story. A good way to start the week.
1: Yeah, man. All right. Well, you know, this week we have the Mueller report uh, coming out, or at least it's anticipated uh uh congress is out of session but the supreme court uh enters into its april session uh important decisions coming down as early as today on appeals uh decisions uh related to uh, all kinds of uh issues gun rights lgbt discrimination reproductive rights uh and so you know, there'll be a lot percolating uh, this week Uh, And actually, news just coming in, uh, Speaker Pelosi came out to defend uh, Omar. And now President Trump is going after uh, Pelosi for defending Omar. Uh, And so this story might uh, be pushed into this week uh, as well. Uh, Justin, do you have anything you want to say before we wrap this episode up?
2: Just love and protect your Muslim neighbor. Love and protect others and, and, and be compassionate about
1: it. Yeah. Take care. Amen. We could we could use that this week. All right, friends. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Have a blessed week. Happy Holy Week.
0: This is the groove. Tell me, can I'm scolding the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained. I'm Project Douglas with a fame. The perfect dining room table is out there, waiting to be found on HomeDepot.com. No, you won't have to build it. Because now at the Home Depot, you can get everything from dining chairs to dinnerware. And with easy in-store returns, bring it back if you do decide to build one yourself. Save up to 25% on select dining room furniture, plus free and flexible delivery. Shop decor, now at HomeDepot.com. More saving, more kinds of doing. Valid on select items online, only free delivery on select items, $45 or more. Visit HomeDepot.com for more information. progressive casualty insurance company affiliates and other insurers discount not available in all stages situations this episode was brought to you in part by united we pray united we pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife especially between christians come join us in praying for the unity of god's people